Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I am Mark Warner in Las Vegas, and today we're being joined by a special guest who's good enough to fill in for Chris, who wasn't able to do the show tonight, Dan Harrison. He is in Florida. He covers the Tampa Bay Lightning. Dan, thank you for coming in and helping out today, sir. Oh, glad to do it. I'm uh, happy to fill in, although I'm sure Chris Lizza has uh, huge shoes. I'll just try and uh, keep, you know, do my best here. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be great, and, and Chris is going to be kicking himself for not coming in. So, so we do have a little bit of Vegas Golden Knights news to get to, and I wanted to get your take. I don't know if you heard the show that Chris and I did on Saturday or the 20-minute uh, rant I did on it last last Wednesday. It was very reactionary on my part. Um, but I did structure my thoughts up a little bit and, and offer them up for whatever they're worth on Saturday's show. Um, basically, if you're going to change the coach, change the coach, that's fine. I, I it, it is what it is. That's a general manager's discretion. Um, I didn't like the way it was done, just like I slammed Florida for the way they did it to the same man. And I didn't like... I didn't like how it was done, and I think bringing in Pete DeVar showed a tone-deaf arrogance from the management um, to the to to the point of, like, I, I know our fans hate that team and that guy. I know our players hate that team and that guy, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, and it doesn't matter the, the impact this has on the community or the locker room or on anything else. I'm the boss. And I don't like that tone, and I don't like the message that it sends to the community in a sense that, the, let's face it, Las Vegas embraced that team like no other expansion team has ever been embraced. And it, there's, and like I talked with Chris about, there's plenty of other coaches out there that would make a great head coach for this franchise. Danny Bilesma is in Detroit. Uh, Lind Lindy Roth is in New York and they're both assistants and you go through the process. Uh, last time I heard, I saw Mike Babcock was available, Peter Laviolette's available, but to pick that guy at this time, I just felt was, was a tone deaf arrogance that I, I really worry. Um, Las Vegas doesn't deal with that kind of attitude very well, historically. Um, and I use Jerry Tarkanian and the UNLV Rebels as an example. I don't think uh, it's obvious that the basketball program at UNLV has never recovered from the the Jerry Tarkanian saga. Um, I don't think we're going to get that unless this team goes in the tank and misses the playoffs. I think there will be a big backlash in the community. And I just I just wanted to get your thoughts. A, a of all the coaches you were hearing on the on the hot seat, were, were you surprised that this move was made? Like I guess the rest of the hockey community was. And um just your general thoughts on how it went down um and and what your thoughts are about the subject. Well, sure. Uh but first let me say that I think Gallant is one of the let's say most underrated coaches out there. I know he's got a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of positive attributes for him, but, but he was unceremoniously fired by Florida after taking them to a division title. I, when he was fired by the Panthers, I was surprised a week ago when he was fired by <laughs> Vegas. 
I thought, I, I thought it was, I thought somebody was playing a joke on me. I, I, I did too. It was certainly not one of the coaches I would have thought was a, even on the hot seat. No, I thought the if same thing. Were, <laughs> if, if they were going to make a change, you know, they, they came out of the gate struggling. And maybe, you know, back in October, at the end of October, first week of November, when, when, when the Knights are still struggling, maybe I could see perhaps then making a coaching change if you want to make a coaching change. But, you know, could, at the beginning of December, they started to right the ship. They Absolutely. were in first place in, in, at the beginning of the first week of December. Yeah, they were struggling a little bit towards the end of the month. But, yeah, it caught, I think it's safe to say that it caught most of the hockey world by surprise. Well, to your point there, Dan, the, they started 13-13-2, I think it was, um, uh-huh. and were just coming off a 13-4-2 run that took them to the Pacific Division lead. At the time of his firing, they were, <clears throat> excuse me, three points out of a playoff spot. Or three points, three, they were in a playoff spot. They were three points out of the Pacific Division lead. And right. that same three points out of second place in the entire Western Conference. They were three points behind Colorado um, at the time. And then after the Ottawa game, um, which, I mean, it's more than a coin flip that they beat Ottawa with Gerard Gallant as head coach. So in, in my scenario, uh, after the Ottawa game, which they probably would have won with Gallant as coach, they were um, one point out of the division lead and two points away from being tied with Colorado for second overall in the Western Conference. They they but came off know, a tough stretch at the end of their at the end of the road. You know, you know, four game losing streak. They give up three goals in the first period. Whatever. Um, you're coaching the All Star game. <laughs> And yeah. I, 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 I said on the podcast that I, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth because if you come off that four-game road trip and you're going to make a coaching change, the classy thing to do is to shake his hand um, in Las Vegas before you board. Obviously, there was something in place with Peter DeBoer. I don't believe that this all came about in 24 hours after the Buffalo game. That's not really physically possible to do um so that not only do you not do it at at home because you don't want to face the media and here's a point that i didn't bring up on saturday's show they didn't do it at home because they didn't want to face the media backlash and that was proven by the fact that at the practice arena city national arena that morning when the news broke they kicked the media out of the practice facility they didn't even they didn't even talk to them. They 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 kicked the media out. So then you go to Buffalo, okay, and you and you have a bad game there, so you've lost four in a row. Teams lose four in a row all the time. It's not like the end of, of the it's not chicken little here. The sky's not falling. It's a four game losing streak. But then you take him across an international border and and but you, you your plane gets in about four thirty five o'clock in the morning, and then you call him up at eight thirty and tell him he's fired in Canada when it's three degrees outside. Um, I just, I just that's the part of it I don't like. If you want to change the coach, do it with some respect to the guy who took you to the Stanley Cup final in the first year as an expansion coach. The, the guy deserved at least that much. Uh, I, I 
I agree completely. But, you know, you mentioned uh, Babcock and Laviolette, and look at look at all the coaching uh, firings so far. And we're basically a little over the halfway point. We're at the all-star break. But you look at you look at Toronto and New Jersey and Nashville, um, uh, all making Dallas, you know, although that was a unique situation. Uh, San Jose, you look at all these teams that are making these coaching changes, some of them rather early in the season. I think it's, I think it's a couple of things. I think because of the success of St. Louis last year, where they, they fired their coach, brought in Barubi, and they went out uh-huh. to win the Cup. Good point. I think I think some GMs are thinking, "Oh, that could be the recipe for us." But here's the, here's the issue that none of the teams that have fired their coach this season are similar to St. Louis last season. St. Louis had a talented team that they acquired in the previous offseason before last season. They acquired an awful lot of new faces for, on that team. They were clearly underperforming October and November and even December. Yeah. What were they in last place? And this was a team that many had picked to to challenge for the central crown last season, and they were dead last. Yeah, in January. But they they had a lot of talent. They just were underperforming. So in comes Barubi. And you know he's he's got the the reputation of being a little a little tough, uh, kind of a drill sergeant type of coach, and that's what that particular team needed. But people, but GMs now, you know, thinking this season when I started seeing all these firings, I thought, oh my god, they're trying to replicate what St. Louis did, and what St. Louis did is is once a generation. That isn't going to happen every year. Absolutely. But, but I think that was the issue, and and you're right to, to have DeBoer like waiting in the wings almost. Uh, yeah, it smelled funny from from Tampa. It smelled funny a week ago when it happened. I'm sure in 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 Vegas, uh, 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 the sour taste in your mouth. I, I probably would have had the same thing. Yeah, and then obviously since since the coaching change, uh, one and two to finish off the first leg of an eight-game road trip. It's a weird schedule. They have four games on the road, and then they have nine days off, and then they come back, and they have four more games on the road. So it's kind of an eight-game road trip sandwiched between nine days off, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. And then so after the Ottawa game, they go, and what do they do? They do the same thing that – they did for coach Vaughn is give up three goals in the first period. Now they end up rallying and winning that game, but they also rallied and won the game against St. Louis. So I don't think we have enough sample size yet. I, I, they, they did institute the beginnings of San Jose's power or penalty kill um, in the last couple games. And they were either over four or one for five last night on the penalty kill, which is, is a drastic improvement from, I think, they said that they were dead last in the penalty kill for the last three weeks. They've dropped from like ninth overall to 22nd overall. Uh, right. Giving up a power play goal every game in the last three weeks. And if it, first blush on the, the changes on the penalty kill, they're going from a passive box to what you would call like a one, three. 
uh, where they're putting more pressure on the puck at the blue line and more pressure on the puck when it goes low. Um, it, it certainly looked like it was effective, and Boston has one of the best power plays in the, in, in the NHL. So if if that improves, I think so will the uh, fate of the Golden Knights. Well, and, and having seen some of the players interviewed, uh, I, I'm thinking specifically about about Mark Stone. He he was saying, "Look, we, you know, this falls on the players because we were underperforming, uh, and it cost us a coach that we all liked and respected. So, uh, obviously, you know, you're going to see any new coach. I think always gets a little bit of a bump. the the the, the proof is going to be." you know, in the 30 plus games that are remaining, because as I think they're, I, I, I looked early this morning that they were in the, the second wild card spot, but still uh, two points away from, from t- atop the division. Right. So, you know, they certainly are within striking distance. And, and we know that that's a, that's a talented team there. They have proven it over the last two, three seasons that they've ex- been in existence. I think they need a little help on defense, and Mark Andre Fleury needs to be a little bit more consistent. Um, he has well, those two go hand in hand. Yeah, yes, they do, sir. Yes, they do. Um, so, I mean, we've got the All Star break coming up. That just about covers the Golden Knights for for this week. I guess we'll we'll uh, work on the I guess the All Star game on Saturday's show. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Tampa Bay Lightning because the last time we spoke with you, um, we were we were like uh, first round hangover. Did the sweep yep. affect this team? They were hovering yep. at or just below five hundred. And since we talked, um, and, and everyone's gonna don't don't at me on this, but they've caught lightning in a bottle <laughs> and have, well, have rocketed up the standings. So uh, what has been the catalyst, um, if there is any one or a number of things that you can point to that, that has brought Tampa Bay, um, basically they were out of the playoffs at about the 2025 game mark, I believe, and and now they're solidly, I believe, second in their division, it, last time I checked. Yep. Although uh, Florida is nipping at their heels. Florida's won, the Panthers have won six straight, and they are, as of this morning, a point behind Tampa uh, and the Lightning are off until next Monday, but yeah, they did start off slow. I think it was a combination of, like you said, the playoff hangover, and not so much because they went deep, but because they were stunned in the first round, right? Uh, with a sweep by, at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, so the team decided, the general manager and the coach decided that they're going to take a different approach. For the last three, four seasons, the Lightning have been a high-octane offense, top-scoring team in the league last three years, uh, you know, one of the top power plays in, in, in the league last season. Uh, you know, they had the, they tied the record in the regular season for most wins, 62 wins, and they were the, the number one uh, power play and the number one penalty kill uh, in the league. So, uh, you know, everybody was feeling good here in Tampa, uh, and then all of a sudden, the first round started, and before we could catch our breath, they were out of it. And I think that there was some 
uh, residual effects at the beginning of the season. In addition to that, Andre Vasilevsky, who won the Vezina Trophy last season, he 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 did not look like a Vezina Trophy uh, goalie. He was letting in some easy scoring chances. Some low danger cha- uh, shots were going in past him. He was hovering around three goals a game and barely hanging on to a a, a, a nine oh one save percentage. But in the last five six weeks, he is crushing it. He's been at. Uh, over 95% save percentage and under two. And that's brought his numbers a little bit back to earth to, to where we've, we've come to expect him to be at. That and the penalty kill. You know, you talked about after 25 games, their penalty kill was 28th in the league. They are now sitting at fourth in the league. All right. They made... They, see, last season, we've the, the the last few seasons, the Lightning have had strong defensive veterans like Ryan Callahan, Dan Girardi, Anton Strawman as integral parts of that penalty kill. So at the beginning of this season, there were a whole bunch of new faces: Mikhail Sergachev, Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, if you can believe that, on the PK, and these guys were, you know, it it it. It was a fire drill every every opportunity, <laughs> and they were letting in goals, you know, in droves, and that hurt Vasilevsky's numbers, and, and 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 one thing led to another. Well, they shored that up. As I said, they've gone from twenty eight to number four, tied for fourth in the league in in penalty kill, and they've got they're challenging Edmonton for the number one spot in in the power play. So their power play has, has, has helped them. But, yeah, they just uh, rattled off a 10-game winning streak. In the last 15 games, they've won uh, 13 of those. So they've they've come roaring back. Uh, and we'll see. As I said, you know, we've got about 34 games left. Uh, if they, they, they just have to stay atop of uh, Florida. You know, Joe, Joe Quenville, is, he, he came to Florida – to coach the Panthers with with a heck of a reputation, and he's got that team playing about as well as as I've seen them play since. Believe it or not, Gallant was there. Well, that's uh, that's funny you mentioned Gallant again because after everything you just said about the Lightning, I think it's just about time you guys fire John Cooper then too. <laughs> you know those <laughs> those the calls for firing Cooper were loud October and November around this town, no doubt. But uh, you know what? It's it's. I, I don't believe that'll happen. In fact, you know, I I I, I was asked where I thought Gallant would end up, and I I think it's Detroit. I think he's going to go back and, uh, you know, he was uh, Iserman's line mate for many years in Detroit when they were both playing. I am sure Steve Iserman is certainly thinking about uh, his old line mate being available now. Yeah, no doubt. I think if Seattle was coming in this fall, um, I think they would be far enough along in the process to throw the kitchen sure. throw the kitchen and sink that, at the man, right? Because that's right up his alley. because who better? <laughs> I mean, but I think being you know eighteen months or twenty months away or whatever it is, um, I think yeah, it's a little too far. Yeah, I think Gerard Gallant 
will want to coach again quicker than that. Although mm-hmm. you never know the, 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 the allure of coming back into the Pacific division with uh, another expansion team and having gone, <laughs> gone through sure. the process um, maybe a, a chance to thumb the golden Knights nose in it a little bit. Um, that might be tempting, but I, I kind of like where you're going on the Detroit. Um, it, if there's a team that almost seems tailor made now uh, for for Jargalon, I, I agree. It probably is the Red Wings, and and I, you also mentioned uh, the Florida Panthers. We were we were doing our our preseason division preview for them, and I thought it would take. There was a lot to fix in Florida, and I don't think it was all on the ice. I think, and I said this to Chris before. Um, I don't know what it is that's missing in Florida, and this was last season. But whatever it is, they they are miss they are missing it. And I thought that it would take Coach Q at least half the season to come in and change that culture. And I and I don't know if it's a commitment to two hundred foot hockey. I don't you know I don't see enough Florida Panthers hockey to be able to to you know speak authoritatively on that. But uh, maybe being being down there, you do. Um, there was something missing on that Florida Panthers team since Gallant left. There's no question about it. And, you know, it takes a while to change culture. Uh, once, you know, it, it took the Kings a long time to change culture. Um, but, it, it, like you said, it seems like now Florida is, is starting to um, play Coach Q hockey. Um, t- t- tell me what you see. Um, between last year to this year, um, is it effort? Well, I, is it is it scheme? Uh, what what's the biggest change with Florida? Well, I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head because Gallant. If you think about it, Gallant and Quenville are very similar type coaches. No nonsense, you know. The highway, and they're they're tough as nails. Yeah, and they they were like that as players. And and they're like that as coaches, you know. That's part of the, John Tortorella's kind of the same way, you know. Peter DeBoer is actually the opposite. He has the opposite kind of uh, uh, re- reputation, being more of a players' coach and whatnot. Right. But when Gallant was here in Florida, those guys they finished every check. They played like the like the 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 Golden Knights play now. They hard fast up and down the ice, you know, north south. He Gallant clearly doesn't like a whole lot of east west. Hmm. He wants that's the he truth. wants players. He wants players to finish their checks. He wants them to work hard in all three zones. And you know what? They may lose. They're not going to win every game, but I guarantee you that the opposing teams know that they were in a game, even if if they came away with the victory. And and Quenville's much the same way. I, I agree with you. I didn't think that they would. I when I did the the season preview with uh, on your show uh, with the Atlantic Division, I said that most likely Florida would win one of the two wild card spots, but they they'd be in a battle with some teams over that. And he's got them playing without look. Bobrowski. The biggest problem last season for Florida is they allowed. More, the most shots per game by any defense, and they allowed the most goals against by any team. It's a and bad combination. 
It's a horrible combination. And and Quenville shored that up. They got Bobrowski in the free agent market. That takes care of you know they had they were uh, pairing off uh, Luongo and uh, oh my gosh I can't remember who the other guy was but Optimus it, uh, I think Ryan, it was Reimer. Right? Yep, Optimus Ryan. So so they were pairing a couple of veterans who probably are way past were past their prime. You know they got a two time Vezina winner in Bobrowski, so he immediately gives them credibility. Quenville coming to the team, you know here's a three time Stanley Cup. Winning coach. This decade. Yeah, this decade. And, you know, the thing about uh, Quenville, and if you look at his time in Chicago, there were veterans that the Blackhawks would bring in during each of those three uh, runs to the Cup. And you look at some of the players that Florida brought in, like a Brian Boyle. Brian right. Boyle's a great fourth-line center. I love Brian Boyle. Win? He's going to win your use of faceoffs, especially on the PK, especially in the defensive zone. That's what Boyle does. He was here in Tampa for two seasons, yep. and that's what I saw every time he was on the ice. He's, he, but he's an older, craftier veteran. He, they brought in Strawman from the Lightning, and and you you put those a, a guy like Strawman who may have he clearly has lost a step or two. Because I think he's 34, 35, but this this guy knows how to play defense, and he's a leader in that locker room, as is Boyle. And you look at some of the younger players that they that that they have. Uh, you know, Barkoff is, is a, a very underrated player. So you 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 can see that that Quenville has taken clearly has taken reins of over this team. Brought in a uh, elite goalie, some veteran players that know what it takes to go deep in the playoffs, and and they're they're going to follow Quenville, you know, to to what they believe is the mountaintop, and they're showing it so far this season. Yeah, I like Brian Boyle's game a lot. He's uh, he was a Kings draft pick, and they oh, sent, that's right. They sent him to Manchester. And try to convert him to a defenseman purely based on the fact that he's six foot six. He was the yeah. fir- he was a first line center in in Boston in Boston I believe Boston College. Now, if he went to Boston University, I'm gonna get murdered over that. But uh, <laughs> e- either way, one of the two. He was first line center on the on a, one of the best college programs in the country. And then the Kings drafted him, tried to make him a defenseman and, and they brought him up for, for this, you know, a cup of coffee and then, and then let him go. Um, he, he went on to score 20 goals a few times, but I, I, I love Brian because he, he plays for his teammates so much. He, he'll, he'll be the first one in a scrum. He'll stick up for his teammates and, and he, he, he's, you know, he's six foot six. Everybody wants him to play big the guy's got hands. The guy's got skill. Like you said, he can win faceoffs for you. Um, he's not as fast as he was when he came up, obviously, but he 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 has grit. But he doesn't he doesn't go run around the ice uh, throwing his body around, um, you know, for no reason. Um, he will stick up right. for his teammates, and he plays for his teammates. Um, we all know he went through the the cancer thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love his game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, you, you know me, Dan. I, uh, the locker room and the presence, and and 
Stanley Cup experience in the locker room, I think, is huge. But I also think it's huge to have a player like Brian Boyle in, in your locker room um, because the you know it's still a young club. They have a lot of talent there, but it's still what you would think of as a young club with with their skill players. And a, sure. a guy like Brian Boyle is going to lead the way. And if if Coach Q has his ear, and he's leading the way for that Florida Panthers group in the locker room. I'm not surprised that they've been able to turn it up here uh, the last few weeks and get back into that division race. Yeah, Brian Boyle's a great guy to have in your locker room. He's a he's the he's the kind of a glue guy. He's Absolutely. the guy that great that, words that, that that the younger players are going to follow because the, he's got over a decade in this league. He like you said, he went through the whole cancer thing a couple seasons ago. I mean, and he beat that, and he's he's. He's the kind of guy that I think most GMs would covet for their team because you know he's no nonsense. He's going to help. He's going to lead by example. He's going Absolutely. to play hard whether they're up three or down three. And 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 the younger players, you know, they got some young talent. And when they see a guy like that, and 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 I'm sure. Uh, Quenville is leaning on Boyle and and Strawman and some of the, those other veterans to say, listen, we got to get these young guys on the same page. You know, I need you to to help uh, with with that. I, I got to tell you a, a quick Quenville story. His first game coaching the Blackhawks, Patrick Sharp talks about. Him being in a penalty, he got a he got an early penalty in the in, in, in the first period at the start of the game. So he's in the he's in the in the box with strict instructions to to go back to the bench after the two minutes. Well, as he's coming out of the box, the the uh, Blackhawks are breaking out on a what turned into a three on one breakaway and with the third person being sharp and he ended up getting the assist on a goal <laughs> i can see the, this the coming <laughs> penalty. so he comes back to the bench thinking everybody you know everybody's high-fiving him and he sits down and quenville reads him the what riot act yeah loud I... enough that the the 10 rows behind the hawks bench can all hear word for word and you know, F-bombs, and he's dropping everything, and Sat Sharp, who at the time was on the top line with Taves and somebody else, I can't remember, and sat him the rest of the period, and that was Quenville laying out the rules for the entire team. When you're instructed to do something, you do it, and he Quenville didn't care if that the goal was scored. All he cared about was, here's a guy one of my veterans, one of my leaders who's defying me, and he he can't have any of that. That's the kind of coach Quenville is, and, and you know, can, you can imagine what he's doing down in Florida because I don't think, I don't think a lot of so-called experts even had Florida picked to go in the playoffs, and they can make a run at Boston in, for first place as well as they've been playing lately. Well, I'm sorry the Vegas Golden Knights couldn't give you a little help with Boston last night. They uh, <laughs> they 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 played a pretty good hockey game. the The penalty kill, like I mentioned earlier, was um, fantastic last night. the The new system that that Coach DeBoer 
has put in play. I mean, the San Jose Sharks have been one of the better penalty-killing teams um, in the National Hockey League for, for years now. And, um, it, it, the you know, this break is coming at the right time for the Vegas Golden Knights where they'll be able to get on the ice here at City National Arena and go through the systems so there there's not so much thinking and it's you know it's starting to come more natural to them after you know some good quality practice sessions so i think this break is coming at a good time for the vegas golden knights from that respect so you mentioned boston um what's your outlook for the rest of of the division um boston will be tough to catch um i believe they still only have 10 regulation losses on the season um but how about how about the rest of the division? Is there anybody else that can creep up from behind, and, and besides Florida, that's going to give Tampa Bay a challenge? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I think that that you know you look at at, at teams like Montreal, Buffalo, uh, Toronto. Those are the next three, but they're all right. out of the playoff hunt right now. That the they all have particular issues. You know, uh, Montreal has been uh, snake bit with injuries. You know, they've lost some, some guys for lengthy periods of time. I don't know. I mean, if their defense was already questionable. Their offense was was suspect. And when you lose uh, some of the offensive firepower that they – I think they lost Druan and uh, Gallagher for some time. And those two guys were their top two scorers. So I, I don't know if, if, if Montreal has enough time in the season to, to work their way back. You know, when you get to the point where you got to leapfrog over a few teams, that makes it hard because, uh, you know, you, you, you might be able to jump one team, but you know, there's, there's a couple more teams that you got ahead of you before you can even sniff a playoff spot. You know, uh, Toronto has certainly has the talent, but, but, you know, uh, uh, a rookie coach with and their defense talk about a, a suspect defense. That's right. that's that's Toronto. You know they certainly. I'll tell you. I think Toronto. If you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last few seasons, I think Toronto's molded in that same way: a high octane offense, but perhaps a suspect defense. I think the only difference between the Lightning and and. Uh, Toronto Lightning of the last two or three seasons is that they've had Andre Vasilevsky, who has production-wise been one of the top goalies in the league. Whereas, although Anderson's a very good goalie, I I wouldn't quite call him elite. And with the the defense having some the defensive holes that they the Leafs have, I don't know if they have enough uh, defense to 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 win those those tough games that they have to win to like I said leapfrog over a couple of teams and Buffalo I just think Buffalo is is you know there's it's it's almost as if Buffalo you never know what Sabres team you're going to you're going to see I've seen them play so well against very good teams absolutely and then and then I've seen them implode against some some middle teams or or lower lower tier teams that they should win easily and they 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 can't if you recall i said they're they're under you know in the preview uh episode we did i i said that they're on their third coach in three years that's not good 
I think this team needs some stability. They have some yeah. very good players. That's a good point. I, you know, Eichel, Eichel is 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 proving to be. You know, he, people forget. I think he was the wasn't he the number two after McDavid? Absolutely, he was. Uh, and and that's a very good player, and he's the captain now. I think that 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 you know they with some of the young players that they have. I think that they could be uh, a team on the rise. I don't think it's going to be this season, though, and that's that's the problem. Yeah, but um, consistency, I think, is the is the name of the game in Buffalo, and and changing your coach every season isn't isn't the answer. Um, no, m- m- memo to Buffalo, uh, not <laughs> not the answer is is changing your coach every year, especially. Um, like you said, with that, with Eichel in the 15 draft and, and Rasmus Dahling, um, you're, you're giving these kids no structure, like you said. And that's, I think, the, the biggest problem um, with Buffalo is, is the, you, you hit the nail on the head. They, they don't have any, any consistent structure where they can go. Th- you know, you go through bad seasons to get to good seasons. People want to remember Chicago winning three Stanley Cups or the Kings winning uh, two, two Stanley Cups of this decade, Pittsburgh winning back-to-back. Uh, mm-hmm. There gets to a point in a franchise where you're rebuilding like Buffalo is. All right. the, the Kings missed the playoffs for seven straight years before they were outed in the first round by Vancouver in 2010. Then the next year they got um, to the Western Conference Finals, and the next year they won the Stanley Cup. Chicago followed the same path. In in 2000, I want to say for the year before the lockout, Chicago had a 51% attendance. The the Chicago yeah. Wolves outdrew the Chicago Blackhawks, <laughs> and that's a fact. You guys can look that up. It's a fact. And then they got wow, Patrick Kane. I know that. And then they got Jonathan Taves, and you and they had Coach Q. After that, they did the same thing. For they finally made the playoffs, Western Conference Finals, Stanley Cup. There's a path that you take, and and. A lot of times, and I think this was forgotten in Vegas a little bit as well. Building a hockey team is a process. It's not basketball where one guy, Michael Jordan, is going to lead you to six straight championships. You've got five man units that have to play together within a system, and it doesn't happen in the first thirty games of a season. It doesn't happen in the first fifty games. It doesn't happen the first year you play together. It takes. I was talking to a guy, a, a new hockey fan, the other day, and they they. I was trying to explain to them with William Carlson out what the difference, what you know, with Stevenson moving up and playing first line center. Look, you're trying to slide a piece of frozen rubber across ice to a target who may be moving between 15 to 18 miles an hour, and if you miss him by half of the width of a stick blade, the pass is off the boards and going the other way in a two-on-one. Mm-hmm. That that's the difference between consistency playing together and giving up odd man rushes and losing games five to two. And it is that fine of a margin. Um, and I don't know if, if ownership in Buffalo understands that. Well, and like any young team, you know, you made some good points with the Kings and with the Blackhawks in the last decade because 
there were some young teams that, like, when when they drafted Taves, the Blackhawks drafted Taves and then Kane, you know, you could see, hey, we've got some talent, but they were still losing way more games than they were winning. Absolutely. And then they bring in, they bring in the coach, the no-nonsense coach, Joel Quenville, and, and they take, he's able to mold and, and get these kids to, 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 to buy in to what he's, he's coaching. And it does take time. I mean, you know, I've heard Joel Quenville say many times that before they won, the Blackhawks won in 2010, that they went in the playoff. He goes, we had a couple first round uh, knockouts, and then we went to the conference finals, and, and we lost. Yep. He goes, but that set the table for, because sometimes you have to go through that. That's part of the the rebuild stage. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think, I think Buffalo could make a phone call to a couple of general managers. You know, even go back to the Red Wings in the 90s um, when Stevie Y came up and he's, he's flying around the ice uh, thinking he's going to score 50, 60 goals every year like Mario and Gretzky. And I, I want to say it was Scotty Bowman that sat him down. And, uh, no, nah, kid, that's, we're, we're not playing hockey like that here. And uh, right. he, he had to dial it back and settle for, you know, 30, 40 goals or whatever. And um, participate in the team environment. And, yeah, okay, Detroit won their Stanley Cups. So, um, I mean, hockey, well, hockey only, history is still Not only that, but, but that's a key point because Iserman bought into what Bowman was coaching. Absolutely. And then as the captain led that team, you know, people call, you know, I know Hockey Town and all this, but some people forget that prior to Iserman's arrival, they hadn't seen the playoffs for something like six or seven years. Awful. All of a sudden, Iserman comes, and they went on that three, 25 or 26 years in a row of making the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well Dan, we're out of time here, buddy. Um, I, I looked uh, up. I looked up and we're actually passed out of time, but uh, I apologize for cutting okay. you off there. We'll have to have you back on, on the weekend show here. Um, that com- sounds good. Coming up soon. Nice. Maybe we'll do a post all-star break. Look ahead. Okay. I, I'm ready. Just get, just let me know. I, I, I love coming on with you guys. All right. Well, thank you for filling in today. Uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff on Twitter and, and all the stuff that you have out there. I, on lightninginsider.com, you can find my uh, uh, articles, and I'm on Twitter at, at Dan Herrejohn, H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N. All right. Thanks again for coming on.